All right, Bankless Nation, welcome to the first fireside chat that we are officially hosting. We are super excited about this live event. We're broadcasting it live on YouTube. It's also going to come on the premium edition of the podcast sometime next week. David, what are we up to today? Yeah, we are up to uh, talking about the partnership between Aave and Balancer. So there is a pretty unique opportunity here to make capital more efficient in DeFi. This is a constant theme. As DeFi matures, as these teams collaborate and talk to each other, they find ways to make things better. Uh, and I think one of the reasons why I'm really stoked on this partnership is because Dan Elitzer is really stoked on this partnership. And when Dan Elitzer is stoked on something, I pay attention. And so this is what's so unique about uh, what we're doing here today is we are actually handing over the keys to the kingdom to Dan. So Dan Elitzer is actually going to moderate the conversation between Stani, the founder of Ave, and Fernando, the CEO founder of Balancer. So going to be a pretty unique piece of content coming out of the Bankless YouTube. And it's great because you and I don't have to do anything. Yeah, we don't. We're going to we're going to come in after the show and add some commentary and hopefully you guys if you're watching on YouTube add your questions uh throughout because we will be monitoring those questions and bring them uh after the panel to to the surface for sort of a community ask me anything where we'll do a debrief. So that's important to make sure you get your questions in. You know, David uh Dan Elitzer wrote that legendary piece Super Fluid Collateral back in like yeah, 2019. Uh, it seems like that was like, I think? something like that. Uh, it seems like a decade ago, but it, it was really the first post that kind of predicted exactly what we're talking about here today. Because what we're talking about is um, actually using a money Lego, a balancer liquidity pool in Ave to uh, at, as a piece of superfluid collateral to receive additional interest on. So what he predicted is coming to fruition, and now uh, doing a panel on it. So that is super cool, David. Anything else regarding logistics? Did I miss anything? Yeah, no, not at all. We're going to we're going to hop off here real quick. Then we're going to hand it over to Stani, uh, Fernando, and Dan for about thirty to forty-five minutes of a conversation. Then, when that wraps up, uh, we will turn to the community AMA, which will go for another thirty minutes. So, if you found this link on Periscope, but you want to ask questions, go to the YouTube because that's where I am fielding questions. We're also fielding questions out of the Bankless Discord uh, for the Bankless Premium members. All right, before we get to the panel and the fireside chat conversation with Dan Elliser. Fernando and Stani, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Aave is a borrowing and lending protocol on Ethereum and just recently released Aave version 2, which has a ton of cool new features that makes using Aave even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi, Money Legos, Yield, and Composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can deposit in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have deposited collateral. Here you can see me getting a 200 USDC loan against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens and ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock that interest rate in permanently. One of Aave's V2 features is the ability to swap collateral without having to withdraw your assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. Aave does all of this for you, all in one seamless transaction, so you don't have to repay loans in order to change the collateral you have backing them. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. 
Guys, we've entered a bull market. Now is the time to start building your crypto empire and you should do it on Gemini. You already know Gemini is the world's most trusted crypto exchange, but now you can do even more than trade. You can earn. You can take one of your crypto assets and park it in an interest earning Gemini account where you can get up to 7.4% annualized. There's nothing more satisfying than earning passive income on an asset that you're already bullish on. This is a crypto native superpower. You know what's coming soon too? A Gemini crypto credit card. Yep, that's a credit card, not a debit card. It gives you rewards and hard money crypto assets, not something inflationary like airline miles or hotel points. Gives you up to 3% cash back in crypto. The card is coming in Q2, but you should get on the waiting list right now and we'll include a link. See what I mean? This is more than just trading. Gemini is your bridge to crypto for the bull market. Open a free account in less than three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. Get $15 in Bitcoin after you trade your first $100. That's gemini.com slash go bankless. Hey all, thanks for thanks for having us, David, Ryan. Thank you so much for inviting us on to talk today. Uh, it's really exciting for for me to be here and be with with these two fantastic guests. I'm I'm actually a big user via my fund Nascent of both Ave and Balancer. We've got exposure to both those tokens, so full disclosure up front there. But we're also very very heavy users of both protocols because we really think they bring a lot to the table. Um, so I'm very excited to get into this partnership today. But before we do that, let's lay a little bit of groundwork. So first, Stani, I know that Ave towards the end of last year did a big V2 launch of your protocol. Can you just in maybe about a minute, give us some of the highlights of new capabilities that were introduced in V2 and what the overall goal was of that overhaul? Yeah, uh, th thanks for, for uh, introduction, uh, Dan. And the, the V2 was launched, uh, I think it was like uh, we were in mainnet in, in December. And one of the things that we try to improve is we just impro uh, optimize the architecture. So we had more gas settings there, but we optimize the protocol so that we can create more pools. And, and uh, currently as obvious a protocol, we have a main market, uh, but the idea is that the, the protocol is capable of, of creating multiple markets. So let's say that uh, uh, if you want to use something like uh, balancer liquidity provider shares as collateral and uh, and other kind of uh, collaterals to to pull liquidity, uh, the protocol is more scalable in 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 that sense. And also, we can list uh, into the main market quite substantial amount of assets without uh, creating uh, unnecessary gas. But another day, we also wanted to improve uh, the user experience. So one of the issues that uh, the, the Aave users had is that when you borrow something against your collateral, in, in most cases, uh, you, you want to return uh, your loan at, at some point, you want to repay your debt. But you know, if you spend that loan somewhere else already, uh, it's very difficult to, to close that loan position. So we introduced so-called uh, collateral swap uh, functionality where you can actually, with this functionality, you could close your loan position. So you could repay your loan with your collateral, which is super cool. But also you could uh, swap your collateral. So let's say if you, it, it, now that, uh, for example, you might have ETH position and uh, PAL is now, for example, listed as token and you want to swap uh, part of the position into PAL, you can actually do that now without without repaying your loan. So kind of like user experience things, which, which are uh, a way to just make the product better. That was our complete focus. Fantastic. And Fernando, I, I understand that 
Uh, recently, you've announced Balancer V2. This is, I guess, the proposal from the, the Balancer Labs team, and uh, the community as a whole has to, I, I guess, approve it and, and push this forward. But can you please you know, tell us what are some of the big changes that you're planning on for this V2? Sure. So what we did mainly was uh, also change the architecture to, to have more, uh, more efficient ways that you interact with the protocol. Um, this, this has been done by separating the logic from pools, um, from the accounting and custody of the tokens. So uh, in Balancer V1 today, each pool is its own smart contract. So the pools are siloed and, and completely separate from each other. They hold the tokens and also the logic that um, kind of uh, rules the AMM that they, uh, how, how they sell and buy tokens. And now we, we have a vault that holds the assets of all the pools in Balancer V2, but each pool is free to have any logic, arbitrary logic that they want. So you can create a, a different AMM style and plug that into Balancer and the vault will hold the assets uh, while the, the pools will, will hold uh, or manage the logic. Why is this so useful? Because Imagine like if you wanted to do a multi-hop trade or you wanted to do a trade um, in a pair that there's a lot of liquidity in different pools. Today, you would have to send, let's say A for B, you would have to send A to like all three pools and then get B from all the three pools that you're interacting with, as opposed to if they are all, like all the tokens are held by one vault, you just need to send A to the vault and then the vault communicates with the pools to like understand how much, uh, what price they offer. And then the vault gives B back to the, to the user who's buying, um, who's doing this trade. And this also allows us to do something really cool, which is what we call internal balances. So imagine like many arbors out there and people who do lots of trading um, every day, retail users or smart contracts. It's, it's kind of silly if you stop to think about it to send token A and then get token B back if they know they're going to be selling B for A and then they have to send the B back to get A. So what Balancer V2 allows is for you to have like some credit within the vault. So you can just deposit A and B and then you, you sell A for B and then that only changes your internal balance within the vault, but it doesn't involve any ERC20 transactions. So there's no external contract calls. It's a lot cheaper. So we, the numbers we're, we're playing around today for a normal transaction, a normal swap, we are getting things around 100K, um, probably gonna maybe go down or, or up a bit from that. And for, for transactions that use the internal balance, we're getting sub 70K uh, swaps. And the nice thing is that if you add more, like if you, if you trade A for B and then B for C, so you're doing a multi-hop, it only adds marginally more gas because you're, you're interacting with the same contract, it's the same vault, it's just adding more like calls to, to vaults, but all the logic is done in the same vault. So we're pretty excited about that. And, and that allows projects to build on top of balancers so they can build whatever AMM logic they want and kind of um, take advantage of this infrastructure, which is the vault and all the, the other stuff around balancer like the SOR and um, bio liquidity mining and so on and so forth. So maybe that's a, an overview about balancer v2. Yeah, and so it, it sounds like in both cases, the goals of these V2s of your protocols have been about really refining the architecture and making it so that it can do a lot more vol volume, be a lot more efficient, 
offer better UX um, through these new capabilities that you're introducing. And the, the piece that you mentioned, Fernando, that we're, I think we're here to talk about today is really that vault piece, right? The idea that rather than having you know, ETH be part of all these different pools and sitting across the different pools, all of that ETH or all of that USDC from all these different pools all end up in a single vault. Um, and that creates opportunity because while you may have a lot of depth in a lot of these pools, people aren't using probably the, the you know, 80% of the depth. Only, it's only that 20% that's in use most of the time. And when you aggregate it across all these pools, that's probably even more so. Uh, so now please, you know, can you talk to me about like what, what you're gonna be doing with the fact that you have all these assets collected in a single vault and, and how Ave then plays into this? Sure. Maybe I, I, I kind of saved the best for, for this answer about P2 that I haven't mentioned. So it's a known fact that AMMs don't use um, most of the liquidity because unless the prices are moving in one direction, like what you get is kind of the, 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 the balance is just fluctuating back and forth as people trade. Of course, if something gets more expensive, then that uh, balance goes down. So um, let's say you have a pool with ETH and I and ETH gets more expensive you're gonna have less and less ETH in that pool. So actually eating up some of that balance. Um, so what we have in Balancer V2 is the concept of asset managers. So a pool deposits assets into Balancer and mints BPTs, Balancer pool tokens. It's like a share, uh, LP shares. But the, the pool should have full control of what the pool wants to do with the assets that it deposited to the protocol. It's not, it doesn't belong to Balancer, it belongs to the pools. And of course, the pools represent the LPs that uh, trusted those pools with, with their assets. If the pool decides to say, well, I know that uh, most of the time, as I said, then just like the 20% uh, top of, of, my, of my balances are being used to um, facilitate or enable trades, why don't I just use 80% of those balances of the two tokens and put them on, on Aave, for example? Because I know that I could be earning, I don't know, depending on the token, 5, 20, 30% uh, yearly, on top of the, the swap fees that the balancer pool is also generating. So it, it, the nice thing is that we, we made it so that each pool can decide on its own whether they want to do that or not, because there's always additional smart contract risk, right? Even if it's a protocol uh, that, that's been battle-tested, has billions like Aave, people might feel scared, like, oh, my, my assets are not actually where I'm depositing them. So it's all opt-in. So you can have a pool that does that and you can have pools that just hold all the assets, have less API, but don't have that extra um, kind of complexity and, and, and um, smart contract risk. And you can have like different, different types of implementations. So you can have an asset manager. And ju just to recap here. So what we're talking about today is um, this partnership between Avi and Balancer where we know that most of the assets in balancer pools are not being utilized, just some of it to be um, yeah, to allow for trades to happen. So what we're talking about is those pools will put those assets in Aave. And it, it's very simple, actually. The concept is very simple. The tricky part is that we need to manage those assets because as I said, if you have an ETH die pool and die is getting more expensive or, or ETH is getting more expensive, then the balance will go down. And if that buffer, which is actually in the vault, goes to zero, 
then people cannot trade anymore because the vault, it, it cannot kind of count on tr tokens that are not inside itself. So um, even though we trust this contract, like the vault should not trust anything that's outside of, of, of itself. So if right. the tokens are not there, it cannot allow the swap. So if the buffer of a pool went to zero, that swap is going to fail. So the asset manager then needs to go to Av and say, I need some of my ETH back and, and put it back into the pool to allow for trades to happen again. Does that make sense? So, yeah. So what, so what you're saying here is basically there, there's a need to kind of manage that balance there and then a need to actually earn yield on the part that is, is not being reserved right in this moment. So uh, it sounds like this is great for LPs and balancer, at least the ones who opt into this and are willing to take some additional smart contract risk, potentially economic risk right around this, but they get better yield on the assets they've got deposited into balancer pools. Stani, what, what's the advantage to Aave for working with balancer on this? What, what does it add to your protocol and your community? Yeah, that's uh, actually that was a very very good explanation uh, from Fernando on, on how, how it uh, how the uh, asset manager allocates the the capital and I think there's plenty of relation like plenty of uh, synergies there and and I think I think how the system is built where the asset manager can themselves to decide to uh, to have this kind of feature is is fundamental because uh, we 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 have this narrative of let's say capital efficiency and governance and protocols deciding upon how to reallocate funds between other protocols where the yield is. And one of the kind of like my concerns always is that what if the end user doesn't want to subscribe to that risk or liquidity provider and this asset manager actually does it in a way uh, where they, they, they basically, uh, the, the liquidity provider subscribe to that kind of uh, asset manager uh, functionality. That, that's, that's pretty great. Uh, in terms of like the synergies, I, I think like with balancer souls uh, with the asset manager uh, in, in the other protocol is, is that we get more liquidity. And that's that's the key point here, uh, especially when it comes to stablecoin liquidity. At the, at, at the current moment, uh, a lot of stablecoin liquidity is sitting in uh, AMM pools and, and for example, in, in balancer. And and that means that when that liquidity is sitting there, it's isn't for, it isn't for borrowing. And one of the approaches we have done before is that we look at the uh, the, the kind of uh, uh, liquidity provider shares and collateralizing them and, and then creating the loan market, but that creates even more demand. So it's, 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 it's a solution where the stable coins become even more uh, sparse. And with the, the asset manager uh, functionality, what happens is that uh, you unlock those uh, stable coins and all of the other assets as well who are from the pools that have this feature uh, into the other protocol, which means that there's more liquidity to borrow and there's more yield uh, to the depositors and the asset managers are also the depositors. So it's kind of like uh, solving a lot of uh, liquidity crunch that we have at the moment. And I, I think what's unique here in this solution is it actually uh, creates layer, layers where the capital is really efficient because when you look at the, the normal model, how we have function and DeFi is trying to achieve, they are taking liquidity provider shares and putting them as collateral. That creates just more scarcity for 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 the stable coins. So I think like a solution wise, it's 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 it's, it's, uh, it's very interesting. And for the developers, I think they 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 will love the the feature and the fact that you can 
uh, on balanced regression too, you can build different kinds of uh, interesting uh, things and use this asset manager feature. But also in the future, maybe there could be other things that asset managers could do. For example, they could credit delegate between other asset managers uh, and, and kind of like increase the liquidity within balancer uh, and also the, the yields uh, on, on those assets. So I, I think this is probably one of the best things happening since DeFi. And this is only like possible because uh, there is this kind of like a community relationship between balancer and, 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 and the other community. And of course, like there's always this kind of additional smart contract piece that is coming on. And, and, and in this case, like, uh, I, I think the relationship and, and the Aave uh, as, as a protocol has been proving uh, quite well in, in those uh, benchmarks. And I, 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 for me, this is the, the best thing happening now. Uh, and and I, I think like, I think Danny wrote about this in 2019, the first time and seeing it now live, I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah, well, I, th I think I was uh, a little overly optimistic at the speed at which some of this stuff would happen, but it's it's now happening at a scale beyond what I would have ever predicted two years out. Um, so I want to, I do want to talk about the community piece and how the communities really fit together. But before we we get there, um, there was a piece, Stanley, that you mentioned that you know I hadn't really explicitly thought about in the context of this partnership. It makes a ton of sense when I think about my own activities um, doing yield farming, which is that uh, when you start using uh, BPTs, the, the balancer pool tokens or other kind of liquidity pool shares as collateral in Aave, the folks who are doing that generally want to borrow stable coins against that. Exactly. That's what the, the real demand is. And they're, they're generally not borrowing other assets. When I think, when, I, when I've got assets that I'm not want, looking to borrow Sometimes I'm looking to borrow ETH, but I'm generally not looking to borrow a lot of the different tokens that are available on Aave. I'm usually looking to borrow stables. Um, and so that's great as you bring in more um, pool, pool shares that can be used as collateral. I'll borrow more stables. That pushes up the price uh, to borrow stables. But where, where are more stables coming in? And this is where this partnership comes in is that the most common assets besides ETH to pair with are stable coins, currently primarily USDC, DAI, USDT are probably, I would guess the top three there. Um, and this should open up probably at least tens of millions of dollars of additional capacity to be lent out on Aave as a result. Is that, is that ballpark what, what you think we're looking at here? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the potential could be, I haven't calculated the whole amount of liquidity that there could be, but uh, I think like uh, eventually quite a lot in stable coins. And stable coins is that what the other protocol needs. And I, I think like maybe this is a good example for a whole kind of like DeFi ecosystem, like how you could actually like think of the, the capital efficiency and you know, in a different perspective. So I, I definitely agree that this is uh, this is going to help a lot on bringing those uh, uh, borrowing costs in in, in Aave. and uh, it's, it's 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 I don't know I'm not sure am I more interested in in the actual solution or the fact that what could you build as a developer on top of this uh, functionality uh, in later stage? So um, but it's 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 a uh, quite substantially um, 
significant change. And I, I think it sets a different kind of a narrative as well in the DeFi ecosystem. Uh, because here is like two protocols and, and uh, trusting uh, each, each other. And the same way, for example, uh, what's fascinating about uh, the other balancer relationship is that we, we have uh, reached out together, like uh, let's say we have reached out balancer community and they've been in to contact us and, and we have agreed to do something, something big and we have usually achieved it. So we created this uh, uh, part of the Arbenomics uh, when you stake to the uh, safety module to backstop the protocol uh, from uh, any kind of uh, 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 events. Uh, so uh, one of the ways to backstop is that you 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 have this special uh, balancer pool where you have 80% of Aave and 20 20% uh, of each uh, uh, the, the 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 pool. So you stake those pool tokens into the safety module. And you get like the fees from Balancer, the Bal token, and also Aave for the safety module. And and we, we were planning that maybe this could be actually if it if it's done right with the Avenomics and so forth, uh, and, and safety module staking, it could be the biggest pool uh, in, in in Balancer. And it happened like now it's the, the, the biggest pool there, and that's like super efficient, you know, in, in that sense. And it's only possible because our community trusts uh, the Balancer community in terms of like because the Funds are there in 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 um, in, in the uh, in, uh, balancer on balancer smart contracts, and in the, in the same way, balancer is trusting all the insurance of security here. So it's it's kind of like a, something that uh, uh, requires a lot of work and time. And I, I think this shows very good message. Like once once the teams uh, uh, achieve certain security level in in terms of like building uh, safe and secure uh, infrastructure, then you know this kind of partnerships are are possible to do in a scale. Otherwise, you could not scale into like hundreds of millions. Uh, in what we have with the uh, safety module staking with Balancer. And and so that's a great point. You know, this is not the first significant partnership that these two protocols have had. So, are are there other things that you're thinking about? What are some possibilities for things that these two protocols could do together going forward? There's a lot of things. Sorry, I was, I was a terrible host there. Fernando, why don't you answer this? <laughs> yeah, I think I think I, I, I agree with Sunny that um, the most exciting thing is not what we know we built and we know we can build, but the things that the crazy developers out there will come up with because um, because of composability and the way those things are like Legos uh, and 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 people come up with ideas that we haven't expected. But I think some obvious um, next next steps would be to have a, a better kind of coverage of BPTs as money markets. So like if Aave understands how Balancer works and like the smart contracts uh, kind of uh, can talk to each other, you can always withdraw liquidity. There's no like wait period or cool, cool down period. So if, if, if Aave needs to slash someone or to um, yeah, use that collateral, he can always go to Balancer, withdraw the underlying tokens and then use the ETH that's uh, in that ETH, let's say um, Aave pool. So in a way, like it's just, a BPT is just a, a passport uh, to the underlying tokens. It's easier said than done. There's like some complexities how to price the BPT in, uh, but, but it's, it's kind of doable and, and we're here to solve those nice challenges. That I, I think the credit delegation uh, for asset managers is an amazing idea. Uh, I've already thought about that and we discussed uh, some, some of 
uh, the kind of uh, cool things we can build with that. But yeah, we're just just getting started. Sorry, Sunny, I, yeah. I interrupted yeah, you. Yeah, ju yeah, just to add on that, like the one of the markets we we're now working is that we we have the the uh, the uh, balance pool tokens as a uh, collateral and 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 you can borrow liquidity against. And what's interesting here is that even though it's a like Aave market and, and, and build on Aave, uh, what we're going to do is that the Aave token hold, holders have also uh, voting power because the way that the Aave uh, version two governance that we released end of uh, last year works is that we can create different kinds of uh, voting strategies. And, and for example, if you create a new pool, we can add their uh, other tokens to be also used uh, to vote. So, so it, it gives uh, power to the, the ba balancer uh, community and because they know the assets as well, they know how their system works. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like an inclusive way uh, to, to get uh, communities together and, and govern things together. And I think this is quite new because usually, uh, you know, there's a lot of partnerships in, in DeFi and, you know, projects working together. But uh, if you look at all, all of those partnerships, there isn't that kind of like a, much of my inclusivity to this level where actually we govern something uh, you know that's that involves both of those uh, uh, stakeholders and and you know and combine the expertise and understanding and community um, culture there and I think that's going to be interesting interesting to see how it will evolve. I think that's super exciting right I feel like so many of the partnerships not just between these protocols but other protocols in the space, have largely been kind of developer driven, um, you know, behind the scenes working together on something. And what, what you're talking about here is, is, as far as I'm aware, like the first case where we're talking about two very significant protocols actually sharing governance via the token holders over a meaningful amount of assets and kind of economics and, and how that's going to be used. I mean, that's, that's tremendously exciting to me. Yeah. <laughs> So we're gonna we're gonna see. We we'll have to talk talk with uh with Fabian and, and and the Snapshot folks about you know what what this is gonna look like to integrate that on Snapshot and have the dual voting and stuff. That'll that'll be a lot of fun. Um, so so before we kind of open it up and and, and bring uh, David and Ryan back in, there's one last topic that I wanted to to hit on to make sure we kind of set the stage. Top of mind for everybody right now is. Kind of congestion on Ethereum, right? It's it's too crowded. Nobody goes there anymore, right? Um, it's it's really great to see so much activity happening on Ethereum, but gas fees just out of control, and so we're seeing a lot of teams racing towards uh, really large scale layer two deployments. We're seeing a lot of other layer one smart contract platforms gaining an interest. At least their token prices are going up, and and, and they're getting talked about more, but. When you guys think about where this is all heading with increased composability, when we start going from millions of users to tens of millions, hundreds of millions, billions of users, we're gonna need some way to scale. And it seems unlikely to me that this is all L1 Ethereum people paying hundreds of dollars per transaction. So what do you see as the, the paths that you're exploring the futures that you're exploring for your protocols to be able to scale and still maintain the the avenue for composability that is, is really being highlighted here in the partnerships you've had so far. So, so Stani, maybe you want to take a first crack at that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> I saw like a week ago, like 1,200 way uh, transactions that, that went through uh, the normal rate. So I, I, I think like, uh, I, I definitely agree that there is quite a lot of congestion, especially like one of the things I think what will cause even more is that, you know, NFTs are becoming popular and people are bidding on those, you know, it kind of reminds the congestion that ICOs brought back in the days. But I think it's uh, it's important to have this this uh, strategy, LTU strategy or or scalability strategy that is as inclusive as possible and supports uh, various communities. Uh, for example, uh, we we try to look into communities where something is already happening, whether it's it's uh, a bit of DeFi and and uh, or something related to NFTs and and you know support that. And one of our community projects, Avagochi, is actually doing something something automatic and 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 you know they poured it actually uh we wanted to port it a tokens for them because they need them obviously for for their uh game uh but you know they they, they said that well we're faster so we'll do it ourselves so this is an example like like scaling without actually doing much of like community driven scaling but i think like uh many of the scaling solutions we we need to always think about the security side so it's it's super amazing to have uh, cheap transactions uh, in in the uh, layer two or or side chains, but we also need to understand that we're reducing the security unless we're using something uh, which is uh, medical proofs like zk uh, zk, and that is something that we are uh, also kind of looking into quite a lot at this moment. Uh, yeah, so our strategy is like. A big thing everywhere, but also like we are trying to find like a long-term solution. Great, Fernando. How how about you? How do you, how do you see scaling for Balancer? That's a, a great question. So we are not aiming to be like the pioneers of uh, scaling, and like we don't want to set the path for other protocols um, in in terms of what what solution they should choose. Of course, we don't uh, have this power uh, far from that, but we we are also not only just sitting and waiting because um, this is blowing up in, in, in front of our noses. So, uh, but, but on the other hand, we still believe that the fact that we need uh, a lot of composability for DeFi to be as, as great as we know it today on Ethereum layer one, there's so many tools, so many kind of um, things that need to work nicely together that we take for granted today. But if you look at Ethereum in 2016, it's probably how layers two and other layer ones look uh, like today, what, what they look like today. So it, it's very easy to sell solutions that um, you, they say like you can just uh, plug in your, your Solidity code and it, it's EVM compatible, it works great. But in practice, we know it's not that simple. So we are also more like leaning towards ZK rollups because um, it's a mathematical kind of uh, cryptographic proof and, and it, there's not a, an economic game uh, where, uh, yeah, people could just decide, well, it makes sense to steal money uh, from people here because yeah, there's more uh, that I can win by stealing money. Uh, there's also not this long period to, to withdraw your, your assets which for NFTs, not so much for us, but we want to be in the space where everyone is. So I've talked to uh, uh, some NFT um, kind of teams that think that this is a no-go, um, a deal breaker, because you cannot like have 
this uh, fungibility between layer two and layer one. Not saying that optimism isn't a, a cool approach. I think it's it's a it's an awesome um, way to solve this. But I think long term, it will probably be um, something around zk rollups, and that's more more what we're leaning towards. But again, I, I think we're just like Sunny said, like we're experimenting with different things, but we haven't committed to uh, one solution yet. And I think maybe the the, the industry, the, the DeFi and like protocols as a whole, they need to talk more and um, decide where they, they're gonna go together if they wanna co keep collaborating and being composable like we are today. So yeah, it's, it's gonna be interesting to see how it pans out this year. Yeah, yeah. As, as a big optimism fan and backer, I'll say I, I do think that the, there's a more to the optimistic rollups than, than we're hearing here. But I also do hear that the the mathematical guarantees of zk rollups are are very compelling. And what I thought was interesting is that you both were looking in that direction, and reading between the lines and what you're what you were both saying, it sounded more like you're looking towards um, layer two solutions on Ethereum and the idea that there's going to be uh, potentially at some point, once everyone kind of coalesces around something, that there will be a bit of a migration, not that you anticipate having versions of Aave and Balancer existing across, you know, 10 different layer ones. That, that's, that's not the likely future that, that you're looking towards. Is that, is that fair to say? Stani? Well, I don't know. Is, is it completely fair? Because like maybe uh, for kind of most cases, yes, but maybe if there's something interesting going somewhere, uh, something that is like like very rich in its like culture and community, like we probably want to be there as well. Like we we try to adopt like just empower more so that it's for us like it's not only about decentralized finance, but you know after you solve finance, you can solve other cool things and empower those uh, communities but we like as a long-term solution we want to find something that you know could be very scalable for us and uh, and I, I think like uh, roll-ups is, is, is definitely some some option that we we are looking into and 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 ZK is interesting because you know if you have uh, like use mathematics instead of like four and and and, and capital and and you know that's uh that, that's something that is very Unique because we we solve now sort of things with mathematics at the moment and cryptography, so uh, that's of course like the holy grail. It's just uh, very difficult still to deploy something like Aave protocol into those uh, those kind of like a uh, places. Fernando, so to your question, yeah. Yeah, yeah, on our side, then I think we're we're not trying to dictate what um, the markets want. I, th I think. Like you said, like there could be a set of users for which it makes a lot of sense to be on another layer one because their capital requirements are not so big, and they they like they know they're gonna be dealing with two hundred dollar checks, and it doesn't make sense at all for them to be on Ethereum, and there's there's no layer two solution today. So what we're trying to do is not close our minds. We're not maximalists, and and like yeah, no other layer ones are are worth trying. So we're actually talking to a bunch of them, but uh, we're always telling them that we unfortunately are fully focused on delivering layer uh, V2 for, for Ethereum layer one. So we wanna launch Balancer here. And, um, and of course we're open to answering questions and helping other teams build Balancer um, on other layer ones. 
So it, it, it's more like a, a, an approach of let's, let's see what the market says. So if someone ports Balancer to another layer one, and we're seeing some like some layer ones implementing Balancer already. And if it catches on and has traction, then it will naturally start calling more our attention and catching more our attention. And then we're gonna have to deal with uh, like questions like, do we wanna use one token, uh, one, one single token for the governance of Balancer everywhere? Or do we wanna have like different versions of BAL tokens that are native to, to other layer ones? Um, are there bridges between BAL that is kind of um, canonically minted on, on Ethereum and then goes to those other um, protocols? Do we have liquidity mining on those other protocols? All, all of this, we don't, we're not trying to kind of set the tone and, and, and decide what to do. It's more like the community, the market, um, those, those are the stakeholders that should decide. And we're just kind of trying to stay focused on uh, the launch of V2 and open to um, going to other layer ones. It sounds like, you know, as it makes clear in both your answers, there are a lot of factors at play here, a lot of considerations. And this isn't something that anyone's going to be able to dictate top down. It's going to be an exploratory process, both within the communities for these various projects and across the communities of the various projects. So awesome. Thank you guys so much. Uh, let's, uh, let's have David and Ryan, if you guys want to jump back in, I think it would be fantastic to start hearing some of the questions that are are coming in from across the interwebs. Yeah, Dan, uh, fantastic job as a moderator. If you are interested in being a Bankless co-host, perhaps we can talk. <laughs> uh, this, was, this is really great, guys. I learned a ton. I have my own questions lined up, ready to go. And so for the people watching on the YouTube, uh, now is your chance to get your questions in. We have definitely collected, been collecting some of the questions uh, that people have been putting into the chat box thus far. So we are going to get to those right after we talk about some more sponsors. If you want to live a bankless life, you've got to get yourself a Monolith DeFi Visa card. Monolith is a one-two punch. It's both an Ethereum smart contract wallet and a Visa card that lets you spend the money you hold in your Ethereum account anywhere Visa is accepted. This is super cool. You can swipe your card at the coffee shop, at the gas station, when you do, you're paying with crypto, all without a bank. This has been the crypto vision since day one, and it's here. Monolith also offers on-ramps for getting your fiat into the world of DeFi. So it's trivial to top up your Monolith card whenever you need to. You can top it up with ETH, DAI, or DeFi tokens. And because Monolith is native DeFi infrastructure, the money that you hold not only never touches a bank, but it retains its DeFi superpowers. So you can swap assets on Uniswap, you can earn yield in DeFi protocols. You've never had a Visa card like this before. Go to monolith.xyz now and sign up to get your Monolith card. That's monolith.xyz. If you are looking for a product that connects your fiat bank account with DeFi tokens and products, you need to download the Dharma mobile app. Dharma is a non-custodial smart contract wallet and comes with a bridge that connects you right into your bank account. Dharma is the fastest and most efficient wallet between your fiat in your bank account and any token on Uniswap or even any vault in Yearn. With Dharma, you can get over $25,000 per week into the DeFi universe and you can do it non-custodially. If you or anyone you know is hot on DeFi and you're trying to get your money into a DeFi investment, Dharma is the place to go. 
Signing up and going through KYC is an absolute breeze. It took me just under three minutes. And after signing into my bank account via Plaid, I am now just one transaction away from any token that Uniswap has to offer. Go to www.dharma.io, that's D-H-A-R-M-A.io, download the Dharma app and get yourself unbanked today. Uh, so my first question is, I just want to be uh, clear about the, the process behind the asset management uh, system. Uh, and so uh, the, the question that I have is that, the, the concept is that you, we only need like the surface level of the liquidity tokens in an AMM to facilitate any sort of uh, any sort of trade, right? Um, it could like and all of the, the tokens. So if I have if I'm trading ETH to die, right, um, and I'm trading 100 ETH to die, I only need 100 die and 100 dollars and 100 die worth of ETH to make that trade happen. Um, and so the rest of those tokens get put into into Aave. But each asset and asset pair or asset group on a balancer or assets in general have their own like volatility characteristics, right? And so you know the ETH die management might not be the same as the Aave ETH management system. How do you guys? How, what's the plan for the long term accounting for the different characteristics of assets and their vol and their just market dynamics? That's an optimization problem, David, that has like, uh, we were working on it with uh, our friends at Placeholder, Alex Evans. Like the idea is that the more volatile uh, a pair is because a token on its own, it's is never volatile, right? It's always relative to something else. So you, you have to talk about volatility in a pair. So if you're talking about ETH and DAI, uh, we know that it's a volatile pair. So we want to have more buffer than, uh, than in a pair that is highly cor correlated, right? So we know that in a day, you might need 40% of the initial balance that you started off uh, in the day. So in order to not have to do many, what we call replenishments. So what a replenishment is, is when your buffer, which is in a vault, starts going close to zero, you need to grab your assets back from Aave and put them into the vault and balancer. Every time you do that, you have to pay for someone to trigger this transaction, right? And, and the interesting thing is that it's one person who's paying for all the pool. So if the pool has $100 million, it's one like keeper that's paying to replenish the pool. It's paying, I don't know, $100, $200 to do that. But that's split. It's uh, kind of, um, yeah, shared. It's a cost shared by everyone in the pool. And it's only done once every hour or so. And if we, we know that transactions are very expensive, what we can do is we can have bigger buffers so that we don't need to do replenishments like that often, but then you give up on the uh, APY because you're actually lending less of your assets to Aave. So it's it's really a trade-off. If you have a lot of volatility and let's say low low uh, APYs on Aave, you might want to have bigger buffers. If you have low volatility and a lot of APY on 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 Aave, you want to have like a very low buffer because you want to have almost everything uh, lent out. So. The, uh, we check the way it's my understanding right on this though that it it's it's not about necessarily within the individual pool you think about it at the the overall asset level so for example isn't like bal bal eth is relatively more correlated than like bal die or eth die right um yeah. so then if if you say have the majority of the eth liquidity is in the ETH BAL pair and a minority in ETH die, you can say the overall um, ETH pool can can have less of a buffer, 
Whereas if it were the reverse, if the majority of the liquidity were in the ETH DAI pool and a minority of the ETH liquidity were in the ETH BAL pool, you'd probably need a, a bigger buffer on that that ETH uh, vault, right? Um, if I understood it correctly, so it, this is something at the at the pool level. Then, so it's not at the vault level. Okay, so you need is to that, figure out the safety margin at the pool level rather than the overall vault. Yes. Level. Okay. Okay. Because one pool one pool cannot use the buffer from another pool to sell because the asset manager might be malicious and they just still all like they they mm. invest all the assets that they have and then oh but yeah let's use some buffer from from another pool and then that asset manager like never shows up again it just stole all everyone's money of course our our and that's why this partnership is so important we're going to put lots of money to audit this asset manager and like good people working from both sides on this problem uh, but we we're fully permissionless so anyone can create any type of balancer pools on v2 any logic, they can create any asset managers they want. Um, but once you trusted an asset manager with um, managing your assets in the pool, then it can do anything, of course, that, that the code uh, permits, but it, it's at the pool level. So if, if the pool decides to like, yeah, lend more, then the pool might run out of buffer and then that pool won't, won't trade the spare. So the, the SLR, smart order router bouncer, will look at that pool, will see that the buffer is too small and then we'll just route the trades to other pools that have enough buffer. Does that make sense? Yeah. And just to complement, uh, right, as you said, like you just need like the surface of the assets. Why? Because people are not trading like 5% of the pool's asset because that has a lot of slippage, right? So um, anyone wanting to do big trades uh, on, on AMMs, they will split up their, their like trades into smaller chunks. So they, they trade a little bit, and then let Arbors bring the price back and then they trade a little bit. So instead of trading all at once and having like 5% slippage. So it's, it's, that's, that's why we know that AMMs don't need to have all, all the liquidity kind of ready to be used. Awesome. And, I, and my next follow-up question, I th want to just clarify, it might actually be the same question asked in a different way. Uh, and so let's, we're going to approach this from, from two angles. And so in your in the guys' announcement post, you guys say that idle funds can go into Aave, right, and earn yield. How do you define idle funds? And is this just the same question and going from, from the, a different direction? That's a great, a great other way to frame it. Imagine, like, the, the way I define idle funds is if those funds weren't there in Balser, everything would have happened the same way, right? So they didn't re really matter um, at all in this period of time. So um, we, we have a, a nice GIF that animates that. So imagine you have like 100% balance, balance uh, on, on the two tokens and then you trade back and forth, um, ETH for DAI. The price has kind of stayed the same. So it's, it's some people buying, some people selling. And then if you look across the whole day, uh, of trades, the balances never cross this line here. So all, all of that, all of those balances beyond, like below the line where the, 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 the surface has kind of went, uh, gone up and down, all those balances, all, all those assets could have been elsewhere earning some extra yield. So, and of course that, that changes because AMMs um, work in a way that if, if something get, gets more expensive, its balance goes down. So as that balance goes down, you're gonna hit that uh, the end of the buffer, and then you need to replenish your pool. And conversely, the other side is going up, so you actually can lend more to Aave because your your kind of um, 
losing, missing out on, on more APY that you could have because you have more of, those, of that asset. So Fernando, I'm going to ask a question that came in from, from YouTube. And uh, I think this is more directed probably at the balancer side. So it's probably a Fernando type question. But um, as you guys have articulated throughout this conversation, uh, this is very much a play for more liquidity. Obviously, Balancer wants more liquidity. What does Ave get out of this partnership um, equation is more liquidity, specifically liquidity on stable coins. We love liquidity. So do our money robots, right? Um, can you give kind of an elevator pitch, I suppose, to a liquidity provider for why Balancer versus somewhere else that they could put their liquidity, another AMM uh, or you know, a centralized exchange somewhere else? Why Balancer? So to my knowledge, I haven't seen any other AMM that allows for that. So if you want to have your underlying assets like of your pool earning some extra yields, you, uh, you would have to go with us. Um, of course, you can wrap your tokens. Let's say you can have like ADI and AUSC and put those in a pool. Then actually you have 100% of the assets that are being lent out. What is the problem? People don't want to trade a die for a USC. They want to trade die for USC. They don't want to trade C die for C USC. So what actually like Curve has a great solution, a great pool uh, there, which is the, for example, the Y pool. They have Y die and Y USC, but people want to trade die for USC. So what they do is, if they want to trade USC for die, they wrap USC into uh, into Y USC, then they trade Y USC for Y die, and then they unwrap the Y die to die and give back to the user. And that costs 800K gas. It's as if we're replenishing the pool. So it's the equivalent to having zero buffer on both sides. Someone wants to trade, you replenish the pool with exactly the amount the user wants to trade. And then you do the trade and then you uh, kind of invest the other side back. It's exactly the same, but imagine this for every swap, right? So what we're doing here is instead of having 50,000 replenishments, which is the, like 50,000 swaps every day, we're, we're bringing it down to 10 because we know that like trades are going back and forth, back and forth. And what we're giving return or, or kind of um, missing out the trade-off here is instead, instead of having 100% of the assets lent out, we have 85 or 90%. But we brought down all the gas costs of wrapping and wrapping 50,000 times per day to down to 10, 10 uh, transactions. So this, of course, who pays in the end, who's paying for those 50,000 rep and rep, 800K gas uh, for every swap transaction? It's the LPs, right? Because there's gonna be less trades. It costs a lot of money to do a trade. So people won't trade there. So in essence, what we're doing is we're making the pool a lot more efficient so that there's a lot more trades. There's a lot more swap fees generated. So the LPs have a much better uh, outcome. I'm, I'm, I'm talking out of theory because this is not implemented yet, but it's it's kind of a, a, a quite obvious outcome in my opinion. Higher yield, more capital efficiency seems to be kind of the bottom line uh, pitch here. I'm gonna ask another question. This one came in through the, the bankless uh, Discord, and this is you know somewhat related. But so um, I, I heard actually the the folks over at Bitwise say that uh, from an institutional perspective, institutions are actually understanding DeFi capital assets. Uh, you know those make more sense to them than than things like Bitcoin. In some reasons, in some respects, because you know the, these are capital assets and they're used to to assessing discounted cash flow. So that's very interesting. But but the question that's coming in from from Discord is is uh, this. What's it going to take to, 
to convince a traditional hedge fund, you know, traditional capital pool to start putting their capital, deploying their capital in something like Balancer or Aave. And maybe I'll start with, with Stani on this question. Are you seeing any sort of institutional adoption? Maybe it's hard to tell because all of these ETH addresses are pseudo anonymous, but do you get hints that some of this capital is coming from institutions? And if not, what do you think that's going to take? Yeah, I think so. Like, of course, like institutions is, is a wide range of, of uh, uh, kind of like entities. Uh, some are more crypto native, some are less, and some are like they don't have any relation to crypto. And I, I think like I, at, at this point, I think there's a lot, a lot of uh, institutional uh, inquiries at the moment. So I, I think like there isn't that much of a like uh, Aave in, in, in the sense that it's for us to, to, to do. I mean, it's, it's more about the tooling because there's obviously there's a big arbitrage at the moment. So let's say uh, dollar is yielding in a U.S. bank account at the moment at under one percent in a fixed uh, deposit, for example. And uh, at the same time, you have ten uh, percent. Uh, this is just the past thirty-day rate on on stable coins. And without going going even volatile volatile crypto assets. And uh, obviously the the opportunity is there, but now I mean it just takes time in uh, in the institutional landscape to, to structure things in a way that they can actually go and deposit. And there's a question, for example, of the, the custody, how they manage that. And, and once they have the custody, how they, uh, how they can actually deposit into the, uh, these protocols. And that is something that uh, many of the custodians are working uh, quite, uh, uh, quite much on, on, on these days. And the cool part about the, the, the other protocol and balancer protocol is that you know, the, the positions are tokenized. So when you provide liquidity into Balancer or into Aave, you have a tokenized position, so you can store that uh, anywhere you want. So that helps uh, quite a lot. And I, I think uh, uh, the other thing, of course, is the uh, security. Like DeFi is uh, in the current state with the current complexity is, is quite fresh. Uh, you know, it takes a bit of time to these protocols to mature. And uh, DeFi itself is not equal. Like all projects are not putting effort into uh, building institutional grade products. So you, you might have protocols that are putting more effort in, in uh, getting institutional uh, uh, mm -hmm. liquidity by making secure protocols. And some are just practically uh, testing out sandboxing and, and everything lives in the same kind of like a net network. So I think those two components are like uh, uh, important for institutional side. On that same note, Stani, uh, we have a question from the, the YouTube about the Aave insurance system and how this uh, integration with Balancer relates to the insurance fund. So if something, if some smart contract bug were exploited, how would the Aave insurance fund, uh, would that be relevant? Or because this is something's not completely Aave, is that, is it, what, what are the details here with the Aave insurance fund? And yeah, the, so the safety module where uh, we have, depending on the, 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 uh, Liquidity there, we have uh, something like 1.5 billion uh, worth of Aave there uh, staked, and, and uh, that brings cash flow for the uh, Aave uh, stakers uh, for backstopping the protocol. So, so that goes also uh, the same backstopping applies into the asset manager funds. So the asset manager is uh, exactly the same depositor as anyone else in in that sense, and of course, like there is the the, the thing that. Uh, you can also stake the balancer, uh, the LP tokens into the safety module, the the A uh, uh, DVT, 
and uh, that's that's kind of like a uh, uh, different thing because you don't want to have this kind of like a uh, circle that they go back, like the insurance insurance cover goes back into the pool. Uh, if something happens to the pool, like that will be very uh, uh, fortunate. And uh, in this case, that that pool will be separate and, and will not have this asset manager uh, feature. So it's it's trusting like balancer contracts there a bit. But the, 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 the asset managers, uh, those funds are covered with the safety module. And, and I think that's, uh, that's pretty cool. So, so that it's, it's treated the same way as all the other uh, depositors. Would you say that that is pro perhaps a solution uh, to what Ryan's question was, which was a YouTube question or a bankless discord question as to like, do, do you think, how, how much weight do you think that the Ave insurance fund will, will help institutions in their just uh, comfort with exploring this space? I think it helps quite a lot, actually. And one thing is that uh, institutions see it quite as a bespoke model. Uh, but interestingly, uh, quite many things in, in business finance is bespoke. So what Balancer is doing is bespoke in the sense that, you, you know, you have this kind of like a, uh, you can stake your portfolio in, in various different percentages. You know, you have 20%, uh, let's say, token A, 20% uh, uh, token B, and rest in it, and you can just take that into a particular pool with that kind of percentage combination and 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 uh, get fees for the trading. So that's that's a bespoke thing. Uh, so I, I think institutionals, they see quite a lot of new things happening, uh, but they don't they don't kind of like see it as a something that they are not comfortable with. They are in, in, in actually opposite way that they, they see that, uh, you know, you have bespoke products and bespoke uh, ways to ensure those products. And I think it's very helpful. And but I don't know, I haven't done a survey yet on, on like institutional level, but, uh, but, I, but I feel that it's, it has a lot of, we have had like a good feedback, but I haven't like a novel answer about that from every that, institution yet. That arbitrage that you opened up with has got to be pretty attractive over time as there's this like in, like great divergence between, between what you can get in traditional finance and DeFi. Um, this is a quick question for Fernando coming from the YouTube, wondering about ba uh, ba Balancer V1 versus Balancer V2, the, tradition, uh, the transition process for liquidity providers. Is there anything a liquidity provider needs to do? Are they migrated seamlessly? Definitely. So the, the nice thing about Balancer V1 and, and Balancer like it's our ethos is it's fully um, like permissionless and non-custodial. So we have no admin powers to just like bring everyone's liquidity to somewhere else. Uh, if we had that power, we would probably be able to steal people's funds, and we never want to have this power. So yes, but we'll make things very easy for LPs. It will be a seamless one-click process where you just say, I want to migrate from this V1 pool to this V2 pool, and it, it should be pretty seamless, yeah. I have a question for the both of you, something that's uh, I'm, I'm curious about just in general, and, and this is the concept of protocols partnering. So DeFi protocols partnering, how does a partnership work in DeFi? So when when two protocols like decide to work together, um, you know, there's obviously stuff that has to happen at the code layer, but I also get the sense that Stuff happens at the meat space layer too. Can you talk about maybe how this partnership came to be? Why you just like you did it because of capital efficiency reasons? I understand sort of the, the motivation, but like how does a partnership happen in in DeFi? Uh, maybe we'll start with you, Fernando. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's something that people might 
think, oh, they just partnered, but it, it goes back like a long time, um, maybe two years already, right, Stenny? So as you say, Ryan, it's a lot of uh, a lot about people as well. So the teams will talk and we see that Stenny is, is a great person. The team is, is, is awesome. They're very responsive, very, very nice. The exchange information, there's like the same ethos and principles as our team has like openness, everything's open source. You're, you're happy, like you're free and welcome to use our code as well. And let's share um, because it benefits both, both parts. And then as you kind of get closer because you have the same principles and you're open to that, uh, which not all the teams are, and, and we know that, um, then you start seeing like opportunities of why, like how those two protocols could work nicely together. And then you start going down to the more technical level. Sometimes it goes the other way around. So people realize, oh, there is like this great um, yeah, way to combine those two protocols, composability uh, opportunity here. And then the protocols start talking. So yeah, I think, I think the way it started for, for us uh, with Ave, and I, I could say it, it's the, by far the biggest and most important partner for us. It's, it's really started like as a informal conversation and, and then it evolved into kind of a friendship and, and a lot of exchange and then opportunities just flourish and, and, and surface like easily. So, yeah. Donnie, would you add anything to that? I, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's it's kind of like a, I, I think what drives us a lot at, at Dabo when we when we see people like uh, innovating quite a lot and, and doing something something really, really smart and, 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 and doing it in, in a secure way as well. And what, what struck, struck me that uh, about the, the Balancer team is that uh, there is a lot of good ideas and, and very interesting like execution and 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 there is like all the time like innovation and they're taking like a lot of steps to do that and they're not making noise at all like that's that's the cool part so like that's that that's that makes like a like a like a perfect like partner you know you want to learn from what what's going on there and 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 I think there's like a like a good benefit and things things happening for both of the communities like we I think the other community gets approached uh, quite often and you know the partnerships proposals are usually like they don't they don't feel that there is like they feel that there is that much of a like contribution and like in 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 our case like we build things on top of balancer and balancer is now building top and things on top of our protocol and, and so there is like this development contribution which is uh really important and also they they review our ideas and we we review theirs so there's like there's also this kind of like a mind uh sharing and uh yeah and usually like when and some projects approach, they they pretty much are looking on their own, like kind of like community efforts in a way that, hey, let's do this. And this is like good for everyone and both of us. And then you're looking that, okay, <laughs> what's happening here? That there is no, there's not actually like, it's very one-sided. And, and here actually there's like, you're building together things. And, and that is why I'm so excited when we are able to govern things uh, inclusively between uh, the communities. And that's going to be a very cool thing now. Guys, this has been a really awesome panel. And Dan, again, thank you for moderating the, the conversation between these two DeFi all-stars. And Dan, my, my last question actually is to you. Uh, as the author behind the Superfluid Collateral piece, this seems to be a manifestation of exactly what was predicted in that, in that piece. But now that we're here, 
where do you see this going? Is this just the first of many? Who, who else do you think is going to make integrations and partnerships like this? Now that, now that we have like almost two more years of data, what's next down the line with, with regards to capital efficiency? Yeah, well, I think this is, you know, honestly, it's, it's a very big deal and it's still just scratching the surface. Right. So uh, I actually wrote a piece on Bankless this this past summer um, about uh, looking at I think called aquaponic yield farming and the idea of kind of prime brokerage protocols. And so one of the one of the questions here too I think becomes you know what does a really deep symbiotic partnership between different protocols look like, and what does it look like as protocols start to bring multiple functionalities in house? Um, does it make sense to actually integrate trading and, and um, borrowing and lending and futures and options and you know all, all sorts of crazy things and synthetics like all, all into a single protocol or does it make sense to keep things somewhat compartmentalized and then work on very deep integrations with specific other protocols? Does it make sense to modularize to a bunch of different protocols that provide similar capabilities? I really don't know, but we're starting to find out and it's it feels like it's snowballing. And there's this balance that we're seeing now, I think between um, teams here and, I, and I, not not to say that, that the balancer team and the Aave team haven't been shipping very, very quickly, but then there are some teams that are just going like crazy. And I think probably being a little more lax on security um, with some of the stuff that they're doing, but really pushing integration super fast. Um, and that's all well and good until things break and a lot of money gets lost. Um, and so I think as an ecosystem, it's great that we've got protocols playing on like different parts of that spectrum between like speed and security. Uh, but as we do have a very interconnected system, there are also systemic risks from that. And so I, I think it's only a matter of time until we see um, some some pretty big blowups. Uh, you know, we, we saw something with a with Cream and Alpha Homora doing some interesting stuff there that they resolved, I thought, in an incredibly collaborative, interesting way as well. Um, so, so I don't know where we're going. I just know we're going to see a lot more of these overlaps and integrations and really just unlocking this level of capital efficiency that is not possible in traditional finance. It's only possible because we have these open public ledgers, and we can make sure that every asset is accounted for and is handled in an indisputable programmatic way. Um, and that is going to ultimately allow us to do so much more than could ever be done in, in old fire, or trad fire, or however you want to call it, the, the, the legacy financial system. Well, what a way to end it. Dan Elitzer, thank you for that. When you're ready to publish your next piece on Bankless, let us know. Maybe it'll be called Superfluid Specialization, something to that effect. <laughs> Always excited to hear you predict the future because uh, you've got a knack for predicting things that eventually come true. Dan Elitzer, Fernando Stani from Ave and Balancer, really excited about this partnership. Guys, thanks for joining us on this panel. Thank you thanks so much. much, guys. A lot of fun. All right, Bankless, this has been our first fireside chat. If you like these fireside chats, tell us. We'll do more of them. Uh, we enjoyed it. <laughs> David and I didn't have to do much. We let the experts talk about it, which was uh, also very fun. Of course, make sure you like and subscribe on YouTube. 
if you're catching this, we'll also publish this to the Bankless Premium feed too, so you can get it that way. Uh, thanks for joining us. This has been a Bankless Fireside Chat. Take care.